Welcome to another episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Join us as we break down the truth behind all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and more to help you form your own holistic definition of what is truly healthy for your body with a healthy dose of sarcasm, dad jokes, and real life experiences. If you're already a Be Well Cartel fan, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with your community. Thanks so much for being here, and we really hope you enjoy our newest episode of the Be Well Cartel. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever the hell you are. Good day. <laughs> good day. Good day good to afternoon. you all. Good day. Good day, friend. Um, I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday um, explaining our podcast and like the dynamic, and they're like, wait, so where are you guys all located? And I was like, well, and then they're like, wait, and how do you guys know each other? And I was like, you should listen to our podcast and find out. <laughs> Smooth. Way to go, yeah. Jillian. Yeah. That's why you're our salesperson. Thank you. I think, I think it's, it's always so fun being able to tell people um, just about like our, like how we got to know each other. Cause it's, it still kind of blows my mind sometimes where it's like, we've never actually touched Olivia. Like when will it happen? I need to touch like, Olivia. I, like Olivia, I don't know what you smell like, but I can imagine. I have like a pretty, so smells are really big. Like I, we've never talked about this on here before. So for me, smell is like a big deal. Like I have like been, I've gone from being like, wow, I really like this guy to like, oh my God, get away from me. Just because I've like gotten close and been like, I don't like the way your skin smells. Like you smell terrible. Um, yeah, it's a Poor big man. deal. <laughs> I know. Jack, you're I mean, perfect, but your skin and this is why I'm strange. single. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kevin's really into smell stuff as well. Scent. When I see you, Jillian, I'll be. No, but the thing is, is it has perfect. nothing to do. It has nothing to do with actually like, like your, you know, like what your clothes smell like, or, or, or if you showered, it literally has to do with like, I feel like for me, it's like the, you know, it like the force is strong with this one. Like for me, it's like the pheromones are strong with this one. Like, so the, so the to... future of the Be Well Cartel podcast could be destroyed when Jillian meets Olivia and decides that her pheromones. <laughs> no, I right. have a very, the thing is, is I have a, like, I feel like I have a very strong idea of like what I believe Olivia smells like, but I want to know if there are people, like if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, smell is a big thing for me too, because I know people that like have partners that like their partners, partners smell terrible. And I'm like, I, how could you get into bed with someone that like, doesn't smell? I don't, I just don't, I don't know. It blows my mind. I know exactly what you mean. And I'm the same. I'm like a, um, well, actually when I was just walking before, um, I smelt someone and I felt like physically ill. Yeah. Um, and I, whenever I get too close to people, I will even though it's like COVID, but that's something that comes up for me as well and so I'm very much about mask like right up and just kind of like hold your breath I'm I feel the same you guys would both really suck at jujitsu oh Oh, this is why this is why (laughs) this is like people do it everybody's no, like oh my gosh jujitsu is so much fun and we like roll it around. is it's so hard. but people like, smell real no, bad the smells the smells are too much oh my gosh i was listening to a podcast the other day and he was talking about how um jujitsu ju- 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 is so cool and it's like yeah you know sometimes i'm just like so sweaty i'm just like soaked and i'm just like that sounds like the most disgusting thing yeah you have and, and, and also you're very conscious <laughs> that some of the sweat is your own sweat but 
a, oh. a vast amount of it is not your oh. own sweat in jujitsu. Oh. That is for sure. Like you, it's a distinct I, mix of how do you, different people's like, sweat. I don't understand. How do you even like? I feel like when you grow up in a mosh pit, like yeah. because I spent so much time in mosh pits when I was younger. It's like. Yeah, of course I'm covered in other people's sweats. This is completely a normal thing. And therefore jujitsu, I was like, oh, this is just like a voluntary version of smashing into people in a mosh pit. So it's fine. Which is exactly why I did one jujitsu class. And I was like, I respect that people like this. I wish that you could see my face right now because I am disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, actually, um, I, I was looking at um I was looking at a a meme thing. Um yesterday and they it was like a meme thing and uh, be the hammer oh my gosh who was it um I can't remember was it like make was great again one of those guys Uh, no it was memes um, for time it was it was um something else um uh, anyway and they had jujitsu and they were like wrestling or something and it was two guys (laughs) and the video showed like one guy on the bottom and the other guy his like his head in the other guy's cross like on yeah. the other guy's like face and i was just yeah. like this is and people so are like i'm gonna go pay like- to go do this and then i'm gonna yeah, like spend like, all my free time doing you've it you've gotta be prepared then- for some interesting um interpersonal things but uh, but here's and the thing i also feel female, like right? in a class in a class it might be that way but also depending on the jiu-jitsu school you go to like if they're if they're a bit more like chill so for example in shanghai i got to a point where i was like look i don't want to roll with white belt men anymore because i just don't want the risk of injury because they're so they're still so ego driven when they're new when they're beginners that like a girl being better than them and like as soon as they start to feel a bit dominated they freak out and they're like oh my strength like wildly flare and i was like no i'm just not like i don't want to roll with those people anymore like i'm gonna choose to roll with women i told my the coaches they're that and because I was very consistent they were like oh yeah cool we get it like they knew what my career was whatever I was like I can't be fucked up when I have to go and coach in a gym tomorrow like it's just not a thing that can happen to me but and in competitions it's girl girl male male most of the time um except for kids um but but in a class you could be you could be with a dude but, but is there like I mean has there any ever been any kind of situation where there's like inappropriate touching or anything like that in jujitsu when it's um male and female or is there like a waiver I mean is there do you know what I mean is there anything that's kind of would you ever feel unsafe in that kind of yeah I would say I would say for sure it will have come up at some point and if you go on jujitsu forums like every now and again you see someone mention it but like the jujitsu community in general is very good at policing itself because mm-hmm. as soon as that happens you tell your coach or you tell someone else and that person will basically be like discommunicated from that jujitsu school and likely from any others in the area um so it's it i it wouldn't happen that commonly to be honest and mm-hmm. i think at least in the schools that i've been in guys tend to be once you're in jujitsu guys tend to be pretty good at taking the sexual element out of it because it's just so focused on like trying to strangle each other there's no time to be like you're quite attractive look how close we are it's all just like I'm gonna kill you (laughs) well so I I have to say because I coached at a CrossFit gym that was also that the the head coach and one of the gym owners was also a jujitsu coach um and so I I didn't I did one class with him and then 
I like saw a lot of the community and the community in jujitsu is incredible. Like the community is so cool, but I still could never get past the like, wait, uh, I like you as a person, but like, I don't want to put my head in your crotch and I don't want my, my crotch in your head. Like, that's just not a line that I want to cross, even though like everything else about jujitsu is like, this is cool. Like everybody is like super open. Everybody's really cool. It's like, it's definitely not a situation that you feel uncomfortable in just because everybody seems to come in with like the same kind of vibe. And like, if you're not in that kind of vibe, like you're not going to last in the jujitsu school. Yeah. I, I think also it's interesting because for both you and Olivia, like touch is a big love language, right? Like touch yeah. is a quite intimate thing. It's a big love language. For me, it's like not at all. Like I have, and, and for Kevin, it is. I have to specifically remind myself sometimes to be like, oh, like give Kevin a hug today. Like, like put what? your put your hand on Kevin's shoulder. Like I have to really think about it. Cause for me, and, I, and we talked about this a bit, Jillian, which I think is like part of it's just growing up British. Yeah. Like British yeah, people don't true. touch each other a lot. We do not. Like if you like shaking someone's hand is like a very intimate gesture in, in British culture, like a hug is like, oh my God, like have you known that person for 20 years? And so I feel like for me, I don't have the same intimacy attached to like casual touch that people might have for whom their love language is touch, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, when I moved to Spain, when I moved to Spain, like I remember the first I don't know, maybe six months. I was like, is everybody trying to have sex with me? Like what is happening? <laughs> Cause there's so much casual touching that happens. And I was like, wow, I must be real hot. And then I realized I was like, no, this is actually just what people do. But and also so you are. For me- Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but I like, you know, backtrack here. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but but the thing is, is that it's like, I think you hit on a really good point because, and Olivia, I'm interested to know how, if you feel this as well, because it's like, for me, I, because touch is such an important thing for me, it's like, I use it, like, I'm very careful with like who I touch and how I touch them, because to me, that's like really important. And so for example, like, um, like dating this new guy, like the fact that like we could walk and like, you know, it like brush against each other as we walk or like touch each other's arms. Like for me, that's like, wow, the fact that I feel comfortable doing that and that like that feels good and is something I want to do more is like a really big sign. Whereas like, I think before when I was dating that British guy, it was like the touch that we had was very like mechanical, not mechanical, but like sort of like planned. I'll blame British culture for that. Yeah, but and he was was very very proper. (laughs) And it was like, the touch was like very like, like planned touch. It wasn't like casual touch. And so it was like the intimacy part. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. It's so interesting the way that people's love languages work like that. Yeah. I'm one for like touching strangers and stuff. Like if I first meet someone, I definitely don't um, hold back on telling someone that I like their shoes or I said that to someone totally random yesterday. I said, I really like your shoes. And then I touched them on the arm never met him before never seen him before uh just a random korean guy and he was just like he's probably like me when i moved to spain like oh my god this woman wants to have sex with me (laughs) (laughs) but it's definitely something but i've also um you know when i was doing in-person training it was something that i was very very aware of because um you know when you're an in-person trainer you have to be mindful of like how people take cues right especially in asia everybody yeah everybody it likes to be coached differently and some people are really you know good with um those kind of like external cues um with like touch and stuff like that but there are some people that and that as a coach you know you just have to really gauge that and be like 
is this okay or whatever and also asking people you know is it okay if I put my hands here and stuff like that so that's something that I you know when I was uh yeah working with people in person I was very very mindful of because I could easily just like give everyone a big hug and be like let's just all lie down together and just hug you know you same for me except <laughs> unless they smell bad um yeah. in, which case, in which case no but yeah. I was gonna say that I, I like, wish no it was more you. yeah exactly <laughs> like you you need a shower um which is so funny on that and there, there's actually something else that I wanted, that I wanted to say on that but funny on that because you would think that I would be like crazy about cleanliness and honestly like I'm like I could go a couple days without a shower as long as I like Ooh. don't sweat and like I don't care right Ooh. or like I'll come back from the gym and I just like won't shower for hours and like I and like I don't care it, like for example if I like how you smell and you it feels natural also smell, have a right? shower about, yeah it's people's yeah. natural smell it has nothing to do mm. with like the you know their cologne or their whatever it's like the way that like the cologne interacts with their skin things like that where it's like like I remember my ex-boyfriend I would literally like when he was sleeping I would just like smell his skin and I was just like oh <laughs> Like you just, so when we do like, it the, just smells so good. When we good. do the Be Well Cartel retreat in Bali, none of us should be alarmed if we wake up and Jillian's just kind of like next to our face. <laughs> like <laughs> nestling you. Yeah. I, I would probably yeah. be like, oh, Jillian, come in. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, but the thing, Holly would be like, the thing that I wanted, the thing that I like, I wish that, that talking about your love languages was more co- like was more common and accepted because I feel like it gives you such an incredible way to like understand the people that you interact with. And I feel like um, like this is something I'm seeing, you know, coming up with people, like a couple people that are close in my lives that are like maybe struggling with their partners. And it's like, for me from the outside, I'm like, well, their love language is this and your love language is this. And like, you're, you're like, you're not you're not receiving each other's love language. And so that's causing this conflict. And it's like, if we just talked about these things, like from the outset, and this is why like, okay, granted, I'm a terrible example because I'm still like, I'm still single, but like I date a decent amount. And so like, every time I date someone that goes longer than like one date, I I always talk to them about their love languages so that I can understand. It's like, when I do this, how do you interpret it? Because that changes communication so much. And I feel like with friendships as well, because it's like how many misunderstandings you have with friendships where it's like, you know, someone, for example, is like, oh, well, I'll pick you up and, and like do this thing for you. But really what all you want them to do is just tell you that like, you, you know, they're so happy to see you today or whatever it is. And so I feel like if we can normalize talking about love languages, and of course we'll put a link in the show notes to like where to find the, like more information on love languages, but I feel like it could, it could like get rid of or prevent so many misunderstandings, whether it's in friendships, relationships, families, like everything. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday about communication. Um, And it's something that I, on a personal note, um, with my own family, there's been some uh, pretty hard stuff going on recently. And a lot of that is just like communication breakdown. And I have had to work really, really, really hard over the last like few years. And especially when I've started to, like when I really started to do a lot of like work on myself and like, you know, a lot of like self-development stuff, I had to really rewrite that narrative because, you know, we obviously we get so much of that from our parents but for how they communicate and stuff like that. And I think that like our, you know, parents' generation, I, I mean, Holly, you're talking about in the UK, you know, that's just 
people in Britain, it's like, if you do a handshake, that's like, you know, a lot. And the same as in New Zealand, it's, it's the same. And my parents' generation is very much like, you just get on with it. You don't talk about anything. You don't talk about emotions. You don't talk about feelings. And so I feel like I've definitely become like, the bit of bit of a black sheep because I'm the one who's always having like the difficult conversations and talking about things but I also have gotten to this point and this is with like friendships and things as well where I'm just like I just don't see any other alternative like to be honest and like and this is a lot of what I talk about with my clients as well is like you have to express your desires and what you need and what you want and of course is kind yeah clear is kind and there is compromise right? There's compromise always that comes with that, but you draw the line with where that compromise um, sort of is with you. But, um, you know, having those hard conversations is hard, but it's also like the alternative is to just feel resentful and things to just kind of like fester under the surface. And it's like, man, that just does not feel good. I think that we, I think that a lot of the time we have this idea that like, if someone knows us well, they should be able to read our minds. It's like, oh, well, yes. no, like, you know, and are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something that like, I talk to my girlfriends a lot about, and I've actually been kind of struggling with this recently because I'm the friend that like, when friends are having issues with, you know, with the communication with their partner or whatever it is, like they come to me, which is interesting. Cause like, I don't have a partner. I'm a dog, you know? And, um, but I, I like, one of the things I talk to them a lot out is this concept of clear as kind is like, Hey, like your partner cannot read your mind. Like, yeah, they know you well. And you'd like to expect that they can like understand what you're thinking, but like if they don't, like you can't blame them for it. Like you can never blame someone for not being able to predict your thoughts or predict like what you want. Like it's almost like under expect. Like if you don't expect it and then they, and then they do it, then amazing. But if you expect it and they don't do it, like that feels like a smack in the face. And so it's like one of those things that I'm trying to practice a lot now, which like, okay, I'm crossing my fingers. He doesn't listen to this episode because this guy, <laughs> so you guys know. Hello, Jillian's <laughs> man. Hope you're listening. <laughs> so, and, and maybe you guys are listening to this, you know, a year in the future and things didn't turn out or maybe things did turn out. Who the hell knows? We never know these things, but whatever. You guys know, I'm very open about this stuff on the podcast. But one of the things I'm trying to like do as I start dating someone, like as I'm dating someone that I actually like, like is trying to remember that like, he doesn't know the crazy shit that I'm making up in my head. And so like, if I don't communicate it, like he's not going to know the stories that I'm creating about like what I think that he thinks. And part of that is so, so scary because I'm like, I'm going to let him in to seeing all the shit that's in my head. And he's going to be like, wow. I got to run like this bitch is nuts. But luckily that has not happened. I think part of it is because he has been listening to some of the podcasts. And so he gets to hear like how I talk and how I think. But yeah, I think that, it, you know, if you're listening to this and there's any type of communication issue going on in, in whether it's a friendship or a relationship, just remember that like no one can read your mind, no matter how well you think that they know you it's always better to be safe than sorry. And if you feel like you're not being heard or not being understood, communicate that because there's nothing more beautiful than being like, hey, this is what I'm thinking or this is what I'm feeling. And having someone be like, oh, wow, like, thank you for sharing that. And maybe they won't say that, but like, a lo mejor, like maybe they will, you know what I mean? So It's also equally as important to remember that we can't read other people's minds either. And I think that's something that- I think that's something that we do even more like it's it's fairly easy 
to remind yourself that they don't know what you're thinking. I find that that's easier than then going, also going, and I don't know what they're thinking because it informs so much of that cycle. And I think the mind, that, that mind reading um, sort of fallacy that comes up a lot is, is a lot of what holds people back in terms of progressing in directions that they'd like to go because they go, but, but other people will think this or that person will think this. And I'm like, how do you know that? You, yeah, you just don't. And ju- um, just to wrap this up before we go into the podcast is that, you know, there is no guarantee that someone is going to be on board with what you're saying or they're going to disagree or whatever. Like you literally have, no- and we talk about this all the time. And I talk about this all the time. You literally have no idea what someone else is thinking. And even if they say, oh, yeah, 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 like I agree, they still might be thinking something completely different. And so that's where we have to have that trust in ourselves that like, okay, I'm going to say this thing. I'm going to communicate what I need, what I desire, whatever. And if I don't get the response that I want back, I'm resilient enough to deal with it and to carry on. And I think that that's, you know, one of the biggest things with communication as well. It's like, how well can you deal with that um, and just carry on anyway? So um, with that, we are carrying on from our conversation from last week, talking about how to choose a good strength program. Yeah, this is a, a really important one because I think that something, I mean, we've talked about this before. I think we probably mentioned this last week is that it becomes really common, especially if you're someone that likes to like, quote unquote, mix it up, which I think that we hear this a lot when people talk about training, they're like, oh, well, you know, like I just like to mix it up and it's like, cool. Like if you're exercising and you just like to exercise and you just like to move, then like mixing it up is fine. But if you're actually thinking like, Hey, I'd like to achieve something or I'd like to move towards a goal, or I'd like to be able to see any kind of like, either whether it's physical change or whether it's, you know, change in how you think about yourself in regards to to training, like having a program is very conducive to actually seeing the changes that we often look for. There was a narrative that existed for a long time of like, oh, well, you need to keep your body guessing. Like you need to mix it up. You need to like keep your muscles confused. And it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Holly's nodding. My email that went out to my list last night was talking about exactly that is what is the deal with like muscle confusion and, you know, random workouts. And this is the thing is that there is literally no science to back up, like doing random stuff to keep your body guessing for like muscle confusion. And people think that more variance is actually going to be better for them to help them progress with whatever, but it's actually doing the same thing over and over to get better at something and just um, changing small variables within that. It's definitely not, I mean, you can still see progress with things up until a point if you're doing random, um, but then you get to a point where you're not going to progress anymore because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And I think that this is where it's really important to identify, like, what do you want to achieve? Like, just like I was mentioning before, like the difference between kind of like exercising and then training for something is like, you don't have to train for a specific, like I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to lift this much. Like you can just have a general goal, but understanding like, what is this vision of where, where I want to be in six months, in a year and wherever, like, even if it's just general, like I have to be really honest with you guys. I don't have a specific training goal right now, but I do follow a program that is a progressive overload program because I know generally what I want the vision of my life and my body and how I feel to look like. And so identifying what that looks like for you 
is really, really important. And maybe you're thinking like, hey, I just want to move my body a few times a week. Cool. Then maybe doing different things is going to work for you. But I, I think that most people have a more specific vision or goal, but they maybe haven't um, like verbalized it or put it on paper or really understood it. Yeah, I mean, just kind of on that, I think that there's so much pressure. Like, I mean, you just look at social media and stuff like that. There's so much pressure of like, have strength goals. And, um, you know, even if it's not an aesthetic goal, it's like, have a strength goal or, and I was just talking about someone that, uh, talking to someone about this the other day. She's like, I think that I should have this goal of um, lifting my body weight for a deadlift, but I don't know, like, how do I choose a goal? And she's like, you know, I've put that I need to get a pull up for a goal, but I don't know, like, do, is that, should I be doing that? And I think that this is so important to, you know, come back to yourself and be like, you don't actually have to set these specific strength goals at all. Like there's so much available to us for what progress can actually look like but we do want to have a clear vision for what that is. And so it can be like, you know what, in six months, I want um, push-ups to just feel easier, but it doesn't have to be a specific, like I have to get 10 push-ups consecutively or anything like that. Um, and that also leaves a lot more um, room and fluidity for how things can kind of be because your life is always going to be really crazy. So I think that that's just really important to note is that you definitely don't need to have specific goals, but having a roadmap, some sort of roadmap um, helps you with where you're going to go because it just does give you a little bit more clarity. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that I actually found really freeing about leaving the CrossFit sphere was being able to identify my own goals. Whereas when I was in CrossFit, it was like, oh, I just have to do this movement, this movement, and this movement to this standard because it's in the open or because I have to coach it. And it was very freeing to just start making decisions based on myself. But at first it was very confusing because I was like, who's telling me what my goals are? And so if you're coming from that place where you're like, I know I want to get stronger, but I don't really know why. It goes back to a lot of what we've talked about, which <laughs> again, like values, priorities, and how you want to feel day to day in your life. And how do those episodes, uh, sort of, yeah. And how do those strength goals fit into that? Like, oh, how would a strength goal show up as part of that? And setting some strength goals for yourself from there. And if your goal is like, I just want to try strength training and see what happens, awesome. You know, you can just go in just being curious um, and then if your goal is just, I want to try and get stronger and see how I feel, then it will tell you about how to identify a program that would be sort of like a general good strength building program versus if you had a specific goal, like I want to get stronger for a triathlon or I want to get stronger for running or I want to get stronger for a specific sport, then it might look a bit different as to how you choose a program. And I think that this is where sometimes just looking at what is the vision that you want for your life and how does how you exercise fit into that vision? Because I think a lot of the time it's like picking, and this is something I, you know, for me, picking specific goals makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because I have commitment issues, guys. 
<laughs> so, so sometimes it's just like, Hey, like, how do I want to feel? Okay. Where, how does strength training fit into that? Or what do I want to be able to do? Like, and this is, this can be general, but I think understanding like the general vision of your life, it can be really, really helpful when it's like, okay, Hey, like maybe I don't have a specific goal for how much weight I want to lift or a competition or whatever it is. But I know that, you know, I, like, I have this vision of myself, like being able to walk upstairs and not getting out of breath and being able to pick up my kids and all of the, you know, this is what my life looks like. And so, oh, Hey, like strength training fits into that. And so a progressive program can actually lead me closer to maintaining that vision of my life. And this is where, you know, it is okay to have those like outcome goals, right? Like we can set outcome goals, but then we want to leave them um, because there's no guarantee that we'll get them anyway. So we could say, you know, I do want to, um, I do want to do a hundred kg deadlift. I'm making that up. I do want to do that, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get there. And who knows? I mean, you could put a timeline on that, but you also can't, um, you don't know how long that is actually going to take your body to be able to do that. And so having those goals is cool. But the way that I always express this to, to my clients is that there's no, uh, there's no better um, metaphor for life for how you're showing up in the gym. And so, you know, if you're showing up each day and you're like flexible, you know, whatever that session is going to be, if you're feeling a little bit tired, fine. You can manage that. You can deal with it. You can do the best that you can. Um, and this is why I always encourage my clients. I share a lot of this on Instagram is that they have gotten into this beautiful habit of setting intentions for every workout. So they have bigger picture goals, but every workout, they take it as a, like a micro thing. And they will write actually in the workouts, like intention to be in my body today, intention to just um, to be compassionate with myself today because I'm a bit tired. You know, like these are the kind of things that we work on on like a micro level. And again, that goes back to that metaphor, right? Of like how you show up in the gym is like how you show up in life, like developing your resiliency and all that kind of stuff and the way that you approach your workout and how you approach yourself. And so I think that that's how we can think of like the smaller pieces within the bigger picture and then the bigger, you know, those smaller pieces, the byproduct of that, is maybe a hundred K deadlift. Yeah. I do the same thing with intention setting with my clients, Olivia, and I found it really helpful for, and I do it with myself too. Um, and I took that from a, a gym called pink iron, which I went to, Oh my God. I can't, uh, maybe in like 2017 or something. The year I went to the CrossFit games, there's a gym in LA called pink iron and That's it's all pink. Is everything pink. Obviously it's all pink. And it's a, it's, oh a, it's a women's, it's a women's strength training gym. And it was, it was basically a CrossFit gym, but they, it wasn't CrossFit affiliated. And at the beginning of each class, they had everyone stand in a circle and they were like, here's our theme of the day, like set an intention for yourself based on this theme. And you could choose whether or not to share it with the class. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, and after that, I started doing it with my personal training clients. Um, and then, yeah, I took that into online training as well. And it's just so nice. And I love that they did it in a group setting. I've always wanted to do it. Um, but just wouldn't work that well in a bilingual uh, mixed gender class, which is what I was doing at the time. Um, but yeah, I really like that. I think overall a common theme that's going to come up for us as we talk through like how to spot a good strength training program is that like, even if it's the best program ever, if you don't enjoy it, um, it's going to be pretty pointless because you won't be consistent with it. And so that'll be something that comes up quite often. It doesn't mean that you have to love every movement. Like you don't have to go in and be like, 
I love Bulgarian split squats. Can't wait to do them. Some of you can just be like, all right, I'm going to do these because they're on my program. I know they're quite good for me. And overall, I'm really enjoying the program. Um, But yeah, and I think, you know, we talked now quite a lot about starting off with identifying your goals and what they are. And if you have the financial ability to do so, you could even book uh, just a one-off call with a coach, even if you don't want to do one-on-one personalized coaching, you could book like a goal setting call with a coach to help talk you through that process um, and then like get their guidance on how to move forward with a strength training program. And I think then the next stage for people, once they've kind of identified what their goal is, which might change, which is fine, would then be to kind of decide on, okay, from where I am financially, what kind of a budget do I have for a strength training program? Because even if you have no budget, there are still programs out there that are put online for free. And just as an example, I think that the Gymless program from um, Coastal Fitness, uh, I think it's under the process programming, is I believe still free, um, doesn't require a gym, but can very easily be adapted to being done in a gym um, and is quite well presented. And so like you could opt for something like that to start with if you have no budget. And then if you have some budget, you could sign up for um, a, a paid group program, but one without personalization. Um, and I think an example like is something like the, the program that Jillian is on, um, which is Paragon. I mean, it's a whole host of these programs, but I think the Paragon ones are quite good. Well, Olivia, but Olivia's is even, is, I, I say Olivia's is the next level because Olivia, you have not just a group program where people are just getting the movements, which is kind of what I'm talking about there, where like if you sign up for Paragon, for example, you get a, a there's an app um, and you just get like a list of what the workouts are and some videos. Um, whereas a program like Olivia's, which is also a group program is kind of next level up where it's based inside True Coach and you get sort of personalized instructions and you get personalized contact with Olivia, um, which you wouldn't necessarily get inside like the Paragon training app. Yeah. And I think that's something that, that is also important to recognize is like not only financial, but also like what style do you like? Like, for mm. example, for me, I really like Paragon because for me, it's like, I don't need to interact with anybody. I don't need to do anything if I need to know what a movement is. And this is like also taking into consideration, I have years of experience strength training. And so if you're listening to this, like you might be really, you might be beginning, you might be getting back to it after time off. You might be someone that has a lot of experience in it. And so I think it's like understanding what your personality style is. Like for me, if I had to like send in videos, like I hate filming myself in the gym. I'm just gonna be honest guys. Uh, Like I can, I'll check my form occasionally in like a window or like a mirror and 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 that works for me because I have like really good proprioception I know where my body is in space um and so I can kind of like quote unquote get away with that whereas like if I was someone that did want a little bit of guidance like it would be amazing to have someone giving me like individual personalized feedback on like hey like next time you know try this or why don't you go a little bit heavier on you know this movement and so I think that understanding not just like what your financial um capabilities are like how much you can invest but also understanding that like what type of support do you want like for me for example with the paragon like yeah there's a facebook group and you can go in there and and people write stuff i don't i don't ever do that occasionally i go in and like look because i'm like oh this is really cool like people are interacting um but i just want like for me i just wanted something where i could 
know exactly what I have to do every day, go in, do it, go home, continue on with my life. Yeah. And I'm actually the same. Like I, um, I actually have an in-person coach now here in Korea, which I am loving because I, I love being coached myself. Like, even though I am a coach, I'm just like, Oh, I just love it so much, but I only go and see him once a fortnight. Um, but what I do outside of that is also similar to Paragon. It's a paid program, but it's very self-sufficient because I don't need I mean, I'm very educated in what I'm doing. I don't need, and I don't really want that. And because when I was competing, I had that for so long, that accountability. And it's just like, that does not work for me anymore. Um, But I think that um, what you're saying, Gillian, is so key is, and this is something that I ask all of my clients when they apply to work with me, whether it be one-on-one or in grit and grace, is how do you like to be supported? And how do you like communication? Um, and I think that that is truly such a such a big thing um, with looking for what you want out of a program um, that like that support piece. And even if you are like an experienced trainee, it's like maybe having someone to bounce thing ideas off or something like that. But I think also going back to what we were kind of talking about last week is that if you're completely new to exercise having someone to just kind of like teach you how to move. And I just highlight this again, because I think it is really, really important because a lot of people, you know, jump into programs um, and, you know, there's kind of like that Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Like things feel really exciting and like, you know, you're like, wow, this is going to be amazing, like straight off the bat. And then two weeks in, you're like, this is not what I want. This is too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, And so, Um, if you are new to exercise, you know, if you can learning from someone in person is really key. Um, But also on that other point is that, you know, starting a new program, remember that if if someone's promising you something, then you probably want to ask more questions with that. um, And know that if you are doing it on your own, that requires a lot of, um, that motivation and stuff like that as well to be self-motivated to do that. And so it's kind of like that support thing, you know, like what are you kind of looking for? And if you do need more accountability and more support, then maybe um, looking for somewhere where you can actually get that. I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I, I feel similarly at this point in terms of like, just needing a workout, but not needing a community to go with it at the moment. Um, but it depends on the it depends on the stage of life that I'm in. And if I'm working out in a gym, then I love like then the community is my favorite part of the gym. But then the workout is less important to me. So when I'm not in a gym as as now, or I'm not in like a community based gym, um, then the program is much more important to me. And there are phases of life where I can just follow a group program. And I've done Paragon in the past. Um, but like where I'm at at the moment, I would say I'm kind of on like the next stage up, but not not super personalized where, well, you guys know, I talked about Tim a lot. I managed to convince Tim to do my programming for me. Um, and for me, I'm much more motivated to do a program at the moment, like when I'm working out by myself, when I know it's written for me and for my goals. And for me, that makes me way more likely to be consistent with a program. And I'm happy to pay more than I would for a group program because I'm so much more likely to do it knowing that he knows me really well. He knows my body really well and is is writing this specifically for my goals and the way that I learn. Um, and he also knows my whole history with um, HA 
And we've talked a lot in detail about like what the recommendations were from doctors and from my reading in terms of fitting training around that. And so he's able to make a program that's very flexible, but because he doesn't love technology, I don't get a shit ton of feedback from him, but I don't need necessarily need all of that because I'm so experienced and experienced with coaching. So I do feel myself a lot. I feel myself a lot and like coach myself based on like what, what I'm seeing in videos, but not everyone would necessarily be able to do that if they didn't have that experience. And so if you don't have it, and but you want personalized coaching, then having someone who's going to watch videos of you and write back to you based on that video content might be something that you want to look at. So if you're also motivated like me by knowing that something's really specific to you, then potentially yeah, going the next uh, stage up in terms of financials and paying someone to write something that is specifically for you uh, might be more motivating. And I think that this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the goal setting is like understanding what it is that you want. And I think that this is where um, even if you do, don't decide to sign up with a coach, even just having like a discovery call with a coach, just to kind of understand like how to start thinking about these goals. Like I know a lot of coaches offer like a free initial call. Um, and, and this is not to say like abuse a bunch of coaches and just like use up, you know, use their time for free. You know, if you want to hop on a call with someone, if, especially if you're, if you're kind of in between, if you're kind of thinking like, Hey, I'd like to do this on my own, but I'm not sure. Like it's always better to try your options. Um, and when I say try options, I'm not meaning, I'm not talking about program hopping, like trying this for a month and trying that for a month and trying this for a week, because that's that is exactly what we talked about at the beginning, which is just, it's random and it's not going to work. Um, it's not going to get you towards whatever goal or vision you have for yourself. Um, but I think that weighing different options and understanding, like um, I did a post recently on Instagram on like how to choose a coach. So we'll link that in the show notes. So you can check that out. If you're, if you're like, I think I want a coach, but I'm not really sure where to look. And that kind of gives you some things to, to look for. But I think that, you know, similarly to like, whether it's a, a coach for training or a nutrition coach or a life coach or any type of coach, like there are certain things that you, that you want to look at. And I think that sometimes you may find someone that really resonates from or with you right off the bat. And maybe you weren't even thinking about working with a coach and that, and you see this person, you're like, I want to work with this person. That's amazing that's not super common though. Like that doesn't happen to a lot of people. And so this is where I think before you, you're like, well, I'll just try this for a month. And then if it doesn't work, I'll try that for a month. It's like, you want to actually look at a couple different programs just to see like what resonates the most with you. And then from there actually commit to something for a while, because I think it makes a lot more sense. And I, I don't, I, I imagine you guys agree with this, but maybe you don't is like, I think it makes a lot more sense to be like, well, I feel like 80% about this one. And I'm just going to commit to it for like two or three months rather Rather than being like, this one seems okay. And this one seems okay. And this one seems okay. Like I'll do this one for a couple weeks, this one for a couple weeks and this one for a couple weeks, because you're, you're not going to see, like, if you're doing something for less than like six weeks to two months to three months, you're not going to really see any progress. And so you don't know if it works. Yeah. And, you know, I can speak to this, um, like personally, you know, having been back in the gym now for just over three months, only now like that's been three months only granted I've come back very, very, very slowly, but only now am I starting to feel different, you know, like I feel like my strength is coming back and stuff. And so that's been a really beautiful reminder for me when I'm saying this to my clients. And that's why with my clients, whether it's group or one-on-one, -on -one, I have like a, a very long, I don't do three month commitments because 
I know that change takes time and I want people to be invested in, you know, in, in that process um, because short-term fixes just, we know that that doesn't work. But um, to Gillian's point that, you know, doing kind of like program hopping is the fastest way to like frustration, burnout with what you're doing, potentially injury, um, lack of self-trust to actually follow through and actually see results. And we have to remember as well is that if you're exercising, if you're committing to something, not every day is going to be sunshine and rainbows. I mean, most of the time, workouts are pretty shit, you know, like most of the time, maybe you don't want to do it. It's not every workout that it's like, holy smokes, that was amazing, you know, but this is the process of getting stronger. This is a process of progression, you know? And so when you can allow for that, and there are going to be times when motivation is a little bit lower, but you have to look at the bigger context of your life with that as well. You know, it's like, if you're in lockdown, things are going to be a little bit harder. You know, if you've got a lot of stress on with work, things are going to be harder and probably, you know, training is going to be the least, you know, on your priority list. And so allowing for, that within this so that you can actually stick with something and just like what I said before is remembering that Dunning-Kruger effect because people start programs whatever it is two weeks they're like oh my gosh this is going to be amazing this is the thing this is going to this is going to solve all my all of my problems and then you realize that there are all, all of these barriers and these obstacles like something stops you from getting to the gym or um, you know, you have a bad workout and then you're like, what's the point or whatever. And so it's knowing that that can be true, knowing that there's going to be obstacles, but you keep going anyway, because going back to that met metaphor, right? It's like how you show up in the gym is how you show up in life. And so could this be a place where you develop that resilience and follow through on yourself? Yeah, the consistency is definitely going to be the most important part of any program and even like you don't have to be choosing the best most scientifically perfect program in order to see progress as long as you're consistent um but i think overall yeah like the ideal commitment to a program six months plus would be incredible right like if it's a, if it's a well-designed program which we'll talk about in a moment then a six month minimum commitment would be amazing however if you're just getting started with strength training that might seem really big and so i think that sort of mentally committing to, to three months would be ideal if six months sounds crazy and three months even sounds a bit long try to still at least commit to something for three months um and maybe we can go from there into talking a little bit about why that would matter like how do we look at a program and assess whether it has those cycles that we want to see in a program well i think just with that as well is that you know if you're starting a program and it's like five days a week and you're like holy smokes i have to do five days a week i am doing like one day a week at the moment you know it's like allowing for that as well is that what is the thing that's going to be allow you to be most consistent because that is going to trump perfection every single time and if you're getting in like one workout a week or you know one workout a week for a month that's four workouts of intentional exercise that you've done as opposed to doing like one workout and being like oh my gosh this is too hard and then stopping or quitting completely and so finding where that is going to be for you for what is going to help you be um, most consistent I think um, is really key when it comes to looking at what you're also able to commit to a program before you start like that can be really helpful because you can look for a program that has two or three or five day options 
And especially if you're doing another sport, like for example, if I was doing jujitsu alongside it, or if I was doing running, or if I was training for a triathlon, I don't want a five-day program on top of that. I might specifically look for a two or three-day program and making sure the program you sign up for either has options for that, or if you're working with a coach, that they know the other stuff you're doing and what volume you're doing it in so they can plan around it. So yeah, I just wanted to finish off on that piece. That would be something that you'd want to take into consideration, even as you're looking at programs and what options are available within them. And so maybe before we go into how to assess whether the programming of a specific program is good, um, maybe we can talk about how your initial entry into that program should look. So I think that that's going to um, look very different depending on what it is, right? So if you're if you are going to start a program that is very self-directed, so it's just that you get a workout sent to you and you just do that, there's no one-on-one, there's no coaching in that, it's literally just a program, then it's probably going to be just that. There's nobody looking at your movement, there's no initial movement assessment or anything like that, right? But when you start to look at things where there is a little bit more one-on-one contact with a coach or something like that, then you might start to see that they are wanting to maybe do a movement assessment with you or something like that. But there are those um, self-directed programs that do like Paragon that have a Facebook group and you can ask questions and things like that in there for support. And I think that that's definitely what you want to be looking for um, with something so that you do at least have some kind of point of contact with someone behind the scenes um, so that you, if you do get stuck, you can ask questions. If you don't understand how something is written, then you can ask questions. If you don't know how to substitute an exercise or your gym doesn't have a piece of equipment or you don't have a piece of equipment at home you know what to do with that so I think that even if you are doing a program that is self-sufficient like that that making sure that there are resources there so that you know what you're doing and you can just look for things to help you yeah and I think it it could be really helpful um you know to talk about like the that the list that we kind of have for like okay we've assessed like what the program provides and what it is that I'm looking for. And then from there, like, what do, what else do we want to look at to understand, like, do I want to go this direction or do I want to go that direction? And what are some components of like, quote unquote, good programming? Cause I think a lot of the time we see programs that are perhaps marketed really, really well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a good strength program. Yeah. And I mean, you might also want to do just an assessment of yourself before you go into a program if if you're doing a group program like that. So if you're not sure about how your own body moves yet, even just going online and looking up like a movement assessment or using an app like GoWad um, to assess your mobility and any limitations there might be useful um, just so you know what's going on. And if you're working one-on-one with a coach, then they definitely should be having you do some kind of assessment before they start programming for you like they need to have some kind of understanding of what your body is how it moves and any past injuries or other limitations before they just throw a program at you um so you should be looking for that for sure i think Oh, I really just want to highlight that because that's super important. If a if a coach is if you're working one on one with someone and they are writing designing a program for you without actually assessing how you're moving, they're guessing. 
So that's a really important piece that you need to be mindful of. Um, and I think also something that's really important is that you know, looking for a program that has regressions and progressions. So especially, especially if you are kind of like doing it on your own without the support of a coach in any kind of capacity, whether that is kind of like some support or fully one-on-one, obviously they'll be designing that for you, but a program that offers regressions and progressions so that you never kind of feel stuck and you know how to um, change exercises that you might not be able to do yet. Like if you can't do pull-ups yet and they're programming for pull-ups and you're like, okay, I don't really know what to do. And you're not educated in the area of like exercise science and program design, then that's something to look out for as well. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to hop in there and define that for people because yeah, basically, basically by regression, we mean if the movement that is programmed in is something that you don't yet have the capacity to do or that day, don't have the capacity to do um have they given you alternatives to make that movement uh simpler or easier and bring it to a level that you can do and if you're advanced and you're doing a movement and it's too easy for you um i mean a checking that that wasn't the purpose of the program because it may well have been that it wasn't meant to be a max capacity movement but potentially that they do have um progressions to make it harder um if if that's where you're at and if you're a very experienced um, with strength training. And I would say that for most programs, and sometimes you see this thrown around where people or, or trainers try to throw in like complicated compound movements, like, but their idea of a compound movement is like, you're doing a back lunge and then your knee comes up and then you're doing a bicep curl and a press. And so something like that is the kind of compound movement that just like looks and sounds fancy, but really isn't going to get you the kind of adaptation that is going to help you become stronger in the long run. And so looking at like, are we, are we seeing movement patterns? Like, are we seeing squat patterns, hinge patterns, push, pull? Like those are kind of the like really basic things that we want to look for. And so when, like, when you're looking at a program, if it looks super complicated, um, and there's lots of things that are like combining different body parts, like keep in mind, I mean, I say, keep in mind, but this may be new information for you. I have no idea is like our lower bodies tend to be much stronger than our upper bodies. And so combining a lower body movement with an upper body movement, it may get your heart rate up, but it may not be getting you the adaptation for your body that we're looking for from a strength that, like from a strength perspective, which is not to say that like adding that in every once in a while might not be part of like the bigger overall vision of the, of the program. But if the, if you're looking at a program or, you know, say you talk to someone that's doing this program and a lot of those movements are, are like overly complex, then that isn't necessarily going to get you the same strength adaptation as something that, you know, has a basis around like squats deadlift patterns, uh, you know, push movements, pull movements that are going to be those like bigger um, movement patterns that you can, there's obviously a lot of, there's a lot of variance you can do with that, but they don't tend to be like incredibly complicated movements, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that this goes um, to another conversation and Holly, I think said this word before is like intention. So it is whatever program you're doing, whoever is designing that or giving that to you, have they told you why? Like, what are you actually doing and what is the point? Because if you're doing a program where each workout, there doesn't seem to be like a flow on effect or there's no progression each week, 
and it seems like a little bit random, then you know, you have the right to ask like, hey, why are we doing this? Like, what is the point? How does this fit into the bigger picture? And when we're thinking about program design, um, the way that we want to think about this is in a, a bigger picture. So like maybe that's like a year long um, macro cycle. So that's like, we could think of like a, a year long design of a program or a skeleton. And then we have um, meso cycles and um uh, oh my gosh, micro, micro, micro cycles within so macro, so, big, meso, midsize, micro, small, just to kind of, yeah. So down. a meso cycle could be like three months, right? So that could be like a training kind of like block. And maybe you do a little test at the end of that to see how far you've progressed. Um, and the micro can be like a weekly or monthly, um, basis of what you're actually doing. And so, I think that this is really key that you you have the right to ask, why am I doing this? And how does this fit into the bigger picture of what we're actually doing? And what is the point of this? And within that is what is the intention of each isolated workout? So something that I do with all of my programs um, is every single workout there is a note that gives them the intention of that workout. So how I want them to actually, um, if it's meant to feel hard or if it's meant to feel a little bit easier um, or why we're doing specific exercises and how that fits into everything. And so this is important for you as a trainee as well. Like when you understand what you're doing, you're going to have more buy-in and you're going to have more success as well. And that leads to you having a more flexible mind about what you're doing and that is your sustainable approach to fitness. So being very clear on the intent on a smaller and bigger picture is key. And so if you're a beginner and you're looking at a program, the way this might show up in a program is that the movements you're doing on day one of the program each week are probably going to be very similar for sort of four to six weeks in a row. And then after that four to six weeks, those movements might change or the kind of goal of that of the, the those workouts might change and that should also be communicated to you um, and there should also be some kind of week-to-week -week guidance on how the intensity should change how volume should change and how the feeling of that workout should change and so for some workouts you'll see that show up as percentages that's very common for sort of like classic weightlifting workouts is that they'll have you start on week one working at, as an example, five by five back squats at 60% of your max, which as a beginner, you might not know, but they might help you gauge that. And then the second week might say 65% and the third week might say 70%. This is, this is a very basic um, example of this, but sometimes it will look like that with a progression on percentages. Sometimes it's weight-based. So for example, I think like uh, strong lifts five by five is a very popular basic strength program where it gives you an Excel sheet and you put in the weight you did on week one and it will tell you the weights to use on week two and week three and week four and week five. And it's a very linear progression of adding weight each week. So that's another way it might show up in a program. I know personally for Olivia and I, and for a few other programs, we prefer to work with what's called uh, RIR, so reps and reserve or RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion. And those are based more around um, you as a human and how you're feeling each day because the problem with workouts where the progression is very linear and based on percent or adding a specific amount of weight is that those don't take into account life 
and whether you're very stressed that week or how you slept the week before or whether you got sick or whether you were like up half the night with your kid or where you are in your menstrual cycle and how that affects you. And so, yeah, personally, I, and I prefer to, to opt for programs like that, that function with giving you a certain amount of uh, reps and reserves, basically feeling like you could do two more reps or feeling like you could do three more reps. And the program will tell you like today, work to a weight where you feel like you still have about two reps left in the tank. And that would be two reps in reserve. Um, or it might say, if we're looking at rate of perceived exertion, it's basically just a scale of how hard something feels. And so in the first week of a program, it, you might it might ask you to work to an RPE of, and it's normally a scale of one to 10, one being extremely easy and 10 being extremely hard. And week one might be six, where it feels like a little bit challenging, but pretty easy. And week two might be seven. And week three might be eight. And it's again, it's very unlikely to be that linear, but just an example of how some other progressions might work as well. And we actually talk about this in one of our episodes. I believe it was maybe the first Q&A episode we did. We'll link it in the show notes um, where we talk about how to choose your weights. Um, and so that I think can be a really uh, useful episode if you're a little bit like, oh, well, how do I know reps and reserve or RPE? We go into that on that episode. Um, and I think that something that kind of going off of all of this is, is also understanding that throughout this, like your program may be a set program, whether it's one that you're getting a coach, you know, the coach will be a bit more flexible than just like a program that you buy. Like, for example, in my case, like that program that I, that I pay for is not flexible to me. I have to make it be flexible to me. And like, that's my responsibility as a person that buys the program. And I have the, the capacity to do that because I know my body really well. But part of that is the biofeedback and and weekly check-ins. And so I know we spent a ton of time kind of talking about like goals and assessing and all of that. And so we're going to, we're going to kind of finish up how to assess a program. And then we'll talk about like, if you are working with someone, like how do you communicate what you need? Um, but something that is really important is taking into into account your biofeedback. And so that can be like, Hey, do you feel super exhausted after these workouts and unable to like carry out other daily functions? Um, do you, you know, do you feel like not like you haven't exerted yourself at all? And this goes back also to RPE. Like if you're, if you're understanding like, Hey, today, my RPE is going to be six. Like that's going to feel different afterwards than if your RPE was eight during a specific workout or a specific exercise. Um, so taking into account, like when you're working with a coach, there should be some sort of check-in process to understand like how you're doing with the workouts, how, how your body is doing, how your mindset is doing, understanding if you need anything adjusted. Um, if you're not working with a coach, it's really helpful to keep track of that stuff yourself. Like understanding what is my sleep like? What are my stress levels like? Um, some easy things we, we've talked about on previous episodes, like how to track bio feedback for nutrition. And it's really similar for training actually as well to just understand like, is what I'm doing working for me is what I'm doing not working for me. So do we want to move on to like how to advocate for yourself or communicate with a coach? And then yeah, I just wanted to touch really, really quickly on the RPE thing is like, and Olivia did a great post on this last week, I think, which is just remembering that every workout should not be an RPE of 10. You should not be maxing out in every workout on your strength or your conditioning. And if your uh, program is not helping you account for that, then you need to do it yourself and make sure you are not trying to push to the max every day. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of programs out there that are not, they're not explaining why you're doing things. And it is just about, I mean, I would be thinking of a lot of like CrossFit programs that it's just about, you know, going for heavy and hard every single day. Um, And that's just not actually that helpful. And I actually like to use daily undulating periodization for my clients, which means that we are working through different intensities during the week. So we're going like hard, moderate, easy, rest, hard, moderate, easy, rest. Um, And that allows you for flexibility from your life as well. So it means that um, if they are coming into the gym and they're not feeling great, then they can opt for one of the moderate or maybe easier workouts. And maybe when they come in on another day, they could do a harder workout if they're feeling better. Um, so kind of like looking for that within a program as well. But um, just on this last piece with how to advocate for yourself within within this, I think that that starts with the onboarding process. So if you are working with a coach, so if you're working with, um, if you're doing a program that is, um, self-paced that you're not working with a coach one-on-one then it'll be very simple you know you'll just kind of like sign up and you'll just start you know but if you are working with a coach the onboarding process is so important um, and if you're not being assessed if they're not sending you um, consultation forms to fill out and they're asking you about your history with exercise um, your history with like dieting nutrition your menstrual cycle um do you think that you're in menopause or going through perimenopause do you have pelvic pain you know all of these kind of things if they're not being asked before they actually give you a program and you're working with someone in a closer capacity like that then that's something to be very aware of and just be making sure that you are actually being seen as an individual if you're paying for that and that's the service that you're after Yeah. And so just to kind of wrap up, you know, we talked about how to identify your goals, whether that is a specific goal, whether that is more of a general goal, whether that is a vision um, and how to understand, like, you know, how to do this both on your own and with a coach. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, different levels. We didn't talk about specific budget numbers because I think that's so varied depending on where you are in the world, um, you know, what country you live in, all of these things, um, whether you're looking online, in person. So uh, it's really just understanding, you know, what type of support you want and and how much you can invest in it, um, whether that is nothing or whether that is a lot. Um, And then how to look at uh, a program like is is a program right for you is it not right for you um, and how much time you should expect to commit to understanding if something is right for you we went into a lot of things around assessment uh, around understanding you know what a program should look like so that you can have a good idea of like is this does this program kind of like hit on the basic uh, like the basic needs that I have in order to move towards a goal um, and then also just communication I think that The communication piece is also something that we interweave into a lot of our conversations that we have on this podcast. Um, So if you've been listening to all of our podcasts up until now, you probably have a pretty good idea of it. If this is the very first one that you listen to, then you know what? It's exciting. You've got 25 other episodes that you can go back (laughs) and listen to and check out and learn so much about communication. And and yeah, so uh, anything else you guys want to add before we wrap up? Amazing. So- 
Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, um, we really, really like hearing from you. So if you liked this episode, um, didn't like this episode, have a question, um, hit us up, hit us up. That sounds weird, but yeah, hit us up on Instagram. Um, also definitely share these episodes if you like them. That is literally the best way to support the Be Well Cartel is to just say like, hey, you know, my friend Susie would really like this episode and just send it over to her. And then if Susie sends it to her friend, Jenny, and then Jenny sends it to her friend, you know, Lindsay, then that is how people start to know us. And that's just great. So thank you guys. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.